When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we talk about consideration, respect, and honesty in all aspects of your life. And today we're going to look at some particular etiquette questions involving BYOB and bringing it home with you. (laughs) We're going to address a classic business social question and whether or not you offer to pay for something that you've broken that belongs to someone else. I'm especially excited. We're going to tackle the topic of disagreeing in public without being disagreeable. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute. I had a really cool gift idea that a server at a restaurant told me the other week, and I really wanted to share it with our audience. Do tell. Okay. So I was having brunch with a friend of mine, and he noticed that our server had this like really gigantic brass belt buckle and it was it was like massive it was super noticeable like really dominant accessory and he's always commenting on people's accessories and you know most people love that underappreciated the belt buckle exactly right so um she told me a story about how her like she was all worried because she had wanted to wear it out for her birthday and which had been coming up and she couldn't find it anywhere. She couldn't find it anywhere. And before they were going to go out for her birthday, her friends got together at her house and they gave her birthday gifts. And one of the gifts was her belt buckle, which she already owned, but they had refurbished it. So cool. So her friends have taken and they've done this apparently with a number of her items so far. They've taken things of hers that are broken or need repair or that she loves and might be starting to wear out. And one by one at a time, they kind of like snitch them from her house and then take them, get them refurbished and give them back to her as gifts. And she's so excited by it because she said not only is it awesome to have that just taken care of and dealt with, but it's also that feeling of, oh, my gosh, I lost it. And you have that worry and that feeling of loss. And then here it is bright and shiny and new and ready for you. And it's awesome. I love this idea. (laughs) And I love it so much for a number of different reasons. Sure. The etiquette show hosted me loves it because I just love the thoughtfulness. Totally. I love the really thinking about a gift and and going to great lengths to to make a gift special and to really think about what's going to work for someone. As I'm listening to you describe it, though, I'm also liking it. It's, it fits that whole reduce, reuse, recycle ethic. We, yes. we get questions about regifting all the time. And this is not— It's not regifting. And, and it's not the same junk. It's not no. giving somebody stuff that they may or may not want or that's going to disappear into a drawer. It's, it's really—it's it's, repurposing, you know reusing. It it's so it's, good. No, it's giving someone a service. Like, you might buy someone, like, a car cleaning or a— uh, a house cleaning or a massage or something. It's giving someone a service, but it's actually a service that you can put into action and take care of for the person. So it's not saying we're going to pay for your belt buckle to get refurbished and then you just all kind of wait around until someone decides to do it. It's taking care of it ahead of time. And the gift is actually the service, not the belt buckle itself. So because there is something about uh, this particular story that might be really useful at this time of year. There are two holidays coming up that are really opportune moments to polish up your gift-giving skill. I'm thinking of Mother's Day and Father's Day. Oh, my gosh, of course. Thank you for reminding me. (laughs) I know, right? And I'm reminding myself, time to add those articles back to the website. But if anybody out there is looking for a really good gift idea for that special parent and this would be the appropriate time of year to be thinking like that. Maybe think about a way to refurbish something that that parent really loves and to maybe figure out a way to put it back into their life with a shiny some new, and new. Some new meaning <laughs> attached. Yeah, exactly. Totally. 
So now that we've done our good deed for the day and set people up for Mother's Day and Father's Day, shall we get to some questions? I think we shall. To make a good impression, you must know what to do. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call and leave a message on our answering machine, 802-866-0860. I like our first question. It's like simple, but really, I think, could cause a lot of trouble if, mm. if not thought about. Do I have to invite you? Hello, Lizzie and Daniel. I have a wee etiquette dilemma. I feel very rude whenever I talk about casual plans with a person who is not included in those plans and often end up inviting people to tag along to impromptu dinners or drinks, especially when I'm traveling for work. I'm wondering if it is ruder, though, to invite an additional person to tag along when someone has planned to have a dinner or drink just with me or a small group. On the other hand, when my boss asks... What are your dinner plans? I feel very awkward not ending that exchange with, you're welcome to join us if you'd like. Business travel can be quite lonely, and it can be fun and honestly good for business to mix and match groups of people who may not normally interact. It can also be awkward if the group doesn't meld well. Advice? Is it rude to bring people along to casual events or more rude not to include someone I am traveling with? Thank you, Susie. Uh, Susie, thank you for your question. As someone who travels quite a bit for work, I appreciate what you're thinking about. And uh, more broadly, I just want to say I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate all the people out there like you who do a good job of getting all the people out there like me who are a little more introverted, <laughs> a little less likely to leave our room of our own accord when we're in a strange city, out and about and engaged. Because um, we people like me need people like you to, to keep the world working. And Having said that, I also want to give you permission to listen to that little voice that I hear in the background of your question today, which is, is my instinct to invite maybe sometimes treading into territory where I don't want it to, where it itself starts to be rude. And I think you are wise to keep a couple things in mind because you also want to think about the other people that you're going to be eating with, that you're going to be spending time with. And you want to think about the nature of the event or the occasion that you're inviting someone to join you for. If you're not the host, if you're not the person who's organized it or put it together, you want to check with the other people and be sure that they're okay with you inviting more people. It's not always about, is this person okay? Right. It's about, is the nature of this event one where I'm free to invite other people I meet over the course of this weekend or convention or whatever it is that we're all doing together? And oftentimes the case is such that it's fine, that it's not just okay, it's appropriate, it's good, it's beneficial, it's better for everybody to get a few more people involved. But just in case, it's one of those situations where someone's hoping to to catch you for a quiet moment on this particular weekend. You want to make room for the, that kind of that kind of time also. When I think about this situation, my mind breaks down to who is it that I'm planning on having dinner with. If I'm in a town where I have friends that aren't business contacts that I might be going out with, that's one where I might be less inclined to extend the invitation to my coworkers or my boss. And I might it might even be something that ahead of the trip, I might ask if it's okay to have a social interaction while I'm out you know, on this business trip. And I think that's a good way to communicate, especially when it's with a boss. Say, you know, oh, we're traveling to a town where my best friend lives. I was wondering if it would be all right if the Thursday night that we're in town, if I had dinner with my friend. And that's a good way to just kind of indicate that that's a, A, give the respect of asking, but B, that's kind of more of a social situation. But I do also appreciate the idea of when you're traveling as a company outside to another location. I know at EPI, we always kind of tried to stick together and at least make sure everyone had their plans set and were comfortable with them. So Mm -hmm. maybe if you and me and my dad were traveling, my dad and I might go out to dinner together and we would, of course, invite you. But we would also say if you felt like staying in and being that introvert for the evening, it was totally okay. But it kind of came as more of a check-in about plans than it did an actual invite. And I'm wondering if her boss isn't checking in with her on plans rather than actually fishing for an invite. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's a really smart concept to keep in mind, that oftentimes you are somewhat accountable to the people you're traveling with. And sometimes you are just checking in. It's You're not necessarily fishing for an invite. In fact, you might even appreciate, as you indicate, that, that a little bit of alone time if someone 
offers it to you. So I wouldn't assume that your boss is always fishing for that invite either. But I do like the way that you're feeling accountable to the people that you're traveling with and the way you're paying particular attention to your relationship with your boss or your supervisor, because that's certainly a part of good business etiquette. And I think one way that if you're in, you're caught in this moment where the maybe the person who invited you out to dinner isn't around, so you can't immediately have the host jump in and, and invite the boss or the coworker. But one way you might be able to do that is say, let me check with Sharon and see if we can add a chair to the reservation or add another person to the reservation. And that's a way of saying, let me just check with the person who invited me, but I'd love to be able to invite you. And it gives you a sort of an out for saying, I'm really sorry, the restaurant actually told us they're super full and we can't. I wouldn't want to go to the place of white lies, but, you know, this could just be an easy way to manage that situation. And rather than say, check with the host about inviting you, which seems a little personal and could get awkward, you check about the reservation and what it can accommodate. And you're just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay some for respect to the people I've already made plans with. That's, that's not uh, bad etiquette. In fact, that indicates your care, your respect for everybody that's involved, not just the person who you're immediately with, the, that person in the moment. And you can also always ask your boss what his or her plans are for dinner. Turn that conversation right around. Oh, I'm meeting together with Sharon from XYZ Company. Do you have plans for dinner? And that kind of invites them to either say yes or say, no, I didn't. And then you could say, well, let me check with Sharon on that reservation and see if you could come too. I love it. Don't feel pressure either way to invite people or to not invite people. But the idea here really is to figure out what's going to work best for everybody and show respect to everybody, both the person who you're with and the person you initially made plans with. Susie, thank you so much. Keep up the great work, and I hope I see you out on the road somewhere. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question has to do with BYOB equaling THYOB, or take home your own booze. The question begins, Hi Lizzie and Dan. My friends and I love to share a bottle of wine or bubbly at get-togethers, but we aren't really into the cocktail scene. Recently, I've fallen in love with a certain liqueur that when mixed with Prosecco and a lemon peel is so amazing, I want all of my friends to experience it. The issue is the liquor is pretty expensive. So is it okay if I bring a bottle of Prosecco and the liqueur and then take the liqueur home? Normally, if I bring a bottle of wine or beer to share, I leave it there, whether we drink it or not. It's more of a gift for the host. So just wondering if there is a way to share the amazingness that is St. Germain without breaking the bank or creating an awkwardness. Thanks, Amber. 
Amber, there is totally a way to do this. Just to to add my love of St. Germain in there. I'm a big fan of St. Germain cocktails, and a favorite of mine is vodka St. Germain soda water, a splash of lime and mint. It's almost like a a vodka St. Germain mojito. And it's really great. It's really refreshing. St. Germain gives like a a sweet, almost flowery aroma to things. It's really lovely. Hmm. Um, So I'm totally with you. And I understand that big bottle of it that you have to buy because I don't think it comes in smaller bottles is not something you would want to leave. When you bring a bottle of wine or a case of beer or something like that as a hostess gift, that's one thing. If you bring, I think, the bottle of Prosecco and the St. Germain, I think it's perfectly okay to bring the St. Germain home with you. It's something that you're only going to be using a very little bit of in each of the cocktails that are made. I think the way to handle this, though, might be better than taking the bottle home with you. Instead, pour the St. Germain into a traveling bottle for the evening and bring it with you in a small amount so that your big bottle stays at home and your little travel bottle comes with you. My grandmother used to do this with her own vodka. This is great. She would bring her own vodka in a little, you know, like the salad dressing bottles that you use and you reuse to like Uh mix up homemade salad dressing. She would bring her vodka in the amount that she wanted with her to my parents' house for dinner. And then she would, if, if there was any left over, she took it home. But usually it was just her two glasses amount that she would have before and after dinner, and that was it. And it was kind of really sweet. Granny's salad dressing bottle of vodka would come with her to picnics or things and... I you love know, your grandmother. I, I did not know this about her. Yeah, yeah. This is not the grandmother that Dan and I share. This is on my mom's side of the family. And nobody ever felt it was awkward or rude or anything. It was just she loved her vodka and she brought it with her, honestly, to make sure that she had what she wanted to drink when she went somewhere. She did not rely on other people to have to provide it for her. And it was just so easy to do. So... Put that St. Germain in a little bottle, bring it with you, and then you can leave the rest of it and not feel bad like you're somehow out another 40 or 50 bucks that this big bottle might cost. I love it. The the good manners granny trick. I know, right? I also do want to say that when you do have a party where it's listed BYOB, it is take home your own booze afterwards. Put your name on the bottle and bring it with you. And this is typically when you are bringing a bottle of liquor, like a bottle of vodka, a bottle of you know whiskey or something like that, to a party. That is the difference. You are not expected to leave that and somehow build up your host's bar. If you bring that bottle of wine as a hostess gift, that is a very different thing. You leave the bottle of wine. (laughs) I love it. That is a (laughs) phenomenal point of etiquette. (laughs) Amber, thank you so much for your question. And please know that from afar, you and I will both be enjoying St. Germain cocktails together. Our next question is a case of complicated carpet compensation or lack thereof. I had fun with that one. All right. My situation. Recently, two friends, a couple, let's call them Joanna and Chip, who incidentally are the names of the stars of the show Fixer Upper, moved in together and asked for some help moving from myself, my husband and two other friends. Let's call them Dale and Nick. I don't think those are the stars of any other shows. We loaded up two pickup trucks with Joanna's furniture and headed to their new place about an hour away. On the way, a carpet flew out of Dale and Nick's truck and as a result became ruined. I mean, it had to be trash. No way of salvaging it. No one was hurt by the carpet and there was no damage to anything else. My question is, how should Dale and Nick have handled the aftermath? Had everything been properly secured, it wouldn't have been a problem. When we arrived at the final destination, there was a small apology, but the entire thing took on a lighthearted joking tone with the line, well, nobody died, being thrown around. Nick at one point asked how much the rug was, not directly offering to replace it, but in a way that I felt there was social pressure for Joanna to claim that it was just no big deal. The rug was nice, and I believe one of the pricier things that was moved, the cost was more than the couple saved by not renting a moving truck. I understand that when non-professionals help you move, there are bound to be some mishaps, maybe some bumps and dings or a dirty pillow or something small getting crushed. But I think this exceeded the reasonable expectation of damages. What should Dale and Nick have done? And now that the moment has passed, what is the best way for Joanna to proceed? Thanks for any advice and keep up the good work. Best, Anxious Witness. Oh, I'm sorry, Anxious Witness. I know, right? Um, Awkward. It is a little awkward. And for sort of a awkward and complicated situation, I think I've got a pretty simple answer. Let's hear it. Um, 
in this particular situation, I don't think these people are liable for the damages to the carpet. They're helping their friend move and an accident happens along the way. And it's one thing if, if you've asked to borrow something and you've borrowed something from someone and you damage it, then I think there's some onus on you to replace it. But when you're helping someone do something like move or really anything that they've asked you for their help in and something goes wrong along the way, I think that they bear some of that responsibility and, and maybe even ultimately they bear that responsibility. Dan, I will help you move anytime because that is so reassuring to know I won't be blamed for any of well, ex- your stuff getting broken or ruined. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for helping make the point. And, and yeah, at the same I'm time, with you, just so you know, there was some real damage that happened here. There and was. Accidents will happen. Mistakes will be made. And how you handle them says a lot about you. And what I'm picking up in this question is that you felt like. Like that accident wasn't handled well, like mm-hmm. the person who was responsible for it. And it's kind of a serious thing. Like uh, you you mentioned. Well, imagine of, if your rug like Dan just got new rugs from Jaipur when he was there. And I love them. <laughs> just imagine if that rug that cost a pretty penny. You know what I mean? Like what if that what if I had loaded that into my dad's truck to move it to like a new house and it got ruined? Would you be really ticked at me? I would maybe have a little bit of anger, a little upset, depending on how irresponsible you'd been in yeah. the way it was packed. And and I might have been there to supervise or not. If I really wasn't there, there was nothing I could do about it. And I was trusting you to manage it and handle it well. Then I think you'd have reason to be upset with me. But if you had seen how the truck was packed, I think like the person who's owning the objects should always have that last look at everything as it's packed away, making sure it's secure and then I feel like you, you can't blame Dale and Nick. Yeah, I think the advice going forward is take a lesson here that if there's something that really matters to you and you're responsible for it, like you are in a situation where you've asked people to help you, that you take care that your crystal's boxed and packaged the way that you really think it needs to be to survive the trip. Or even um, that you're the one who puts it in the truck or you're the one driving that particular truck. Yeah. I think that there's a lesson here for Dale and Nick also Yeah, (laughs) that I think they might be ultimately aware that they're not responsible Yeah, and they want to apologize. But what I'm noticing from um, our anxious witness here is that they didn't really approach that apology with the seriousness that it deserves for the sake of the relationship. Right. That even if they're not technically responsible, no one's going to give them a bill for the cost of cleaning or replacing that carpet, that some genuine contrition (laughs) might go a a long way. And maybe the joke is going to help you move past it, but you've got to spend a little bit more time with the seriousness and the sincerity of that apology. I think it's worth it for the sake of the relationship. And anxious witness here is perceiving a little bit of social pressure on the host in this situation or the person who's doing the move to take responsibility to say, ultimately, it's mine. And that social pressure does exist. I think that that's real. That's what we're talking about with etiquette, the social expectation that the person who's ultimately responsible here takes responsibility and does their best not to hold it over the people who made the mistake. This is that that dance that's required of us in etiquette that also requires the people who made the mistake to play the job, to play the role of apologizing in some ways, disciplining themselves, (laughs) showing that they're exercising that internal discipline of, you know, we made a mistake here. We're genuinely sorry for it. And we're sorry for the cost that it's going to result in for you. Amazing how taking ownership and responsibility of something in and of itself can be enough of a healing mechanism in a situation like this. And I think that's just brilliant advice, Dan. I love being called brilliant. Anxious witness, I hope that that helps. Moving forward, I say take good care with your stuff, particularly when you're the one responsible for it. And my mother had an old expression. She said, penny wise, pound foolish. Maybe next time think about hiring those movers. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question also has to do with who pays. It's titled, I'd like to throw you a party at your expense. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My husband and I secretly planned to elope on our recent vacation and return to share the news with our families a few days later. I'm going to pause here to say congratulations. My mom and sister offered to throw a celebratory party for me, which would include a very small group of female relatives. As the planning continued, I soon realized how much money I was being tasked to spend on various aspects of this party that I didn't intend to have in the first place. Sort of defeats the purpose of me saving money by not having a wedding, I think. 
In general, I always thought that if you offer to throw a party for someone, they shouldn't be expected to do more than show up. Have I been wrong all along? Who's really throwing this party? Thanks so much, E. Oh, E, you are so, so, so right. If someone offers to throw you a party, they should not be leaning on you to then pick up the tab or contribute. Now, it's very true that this isn't going to be like a typical wedding reception because of the elopement. But this is you gathering with your closest female relatives. They should definitely be footing the bill for this, especially because they invited you to this event. Um, that's that, this is so cut and dry. I don't think there's much more to elaborate on. You can certainly always offer to contribute, but you should never be asked by the people hosting it to pay for it. Yeah, I have almost nothing to add. Yeah, except that I think this doesn't need to be fraught. You no. can talk to your family about this. Yes, if, if you're being asked to help pay, you're partially hosting, which means you also get to make some decisions like that's more money than I want to spend on this particular party. That's well within your purview. You're allowed to say that because you're now roped into this party planning. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Just I would definitely communicate with your family and say, you know, this is how much I would have as a budget to do. Like you're into the I have to deal with bad etiquette point of this. So you're dealing with other people's bad etiquette and you just need to say, okay, I don't need to school them on the fact that I shouldn't be paying this for for any of this at all. But what I can do, as Dan is suggesting, is say is take back a little control and say, this is my budget for a party like this. Fifty bucks. Like, you know, this is my budget, 100 bucks. This is my budget, 25 bucks, whatever it is. Put it out there, and it's kind of a good clue in to mom and the rest of the fam that, hey, this is the whole point was to save the money. We hope that helps. And once again, congratulations and enjoy the party. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. You can learn still more by watching mother, dad, and other people who have good manners. As always, thank you so much for your questions. Please send us any updates or comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us on Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette. Or you can leave us a voicemail message at 802-866-0860. We've asked you for your comments, ideas, and perspectives on the etiquette that we talk about, and you have answered us. You continue to send us some incredible feedback, and we so appreciate it. Our producer, Hans, has been combing through the material that you've sent, and he has a few things that he'd like to share. Hey, Hans. Hey, Lizzie. Hey, Dan. Yeah, we get some amazing stuff back from people, so everybody keep on sending stuff in. It is really awesome to hear from you on what you think about all the stuff we talk about on the show. Well, our audience is awesome. Right? Right? (laughs) So let's get right to it. A couple of weeks ago, we had a question, which was about a group of friends who were discovering that one of the group of them had been saying negative things about all the other group members. So internally, there was a lot of gossiping and, and talking about people. So it was a really complicated friend situation, and there were several people who had some responses to it. So one came from Allison from Madison, Wisconsin, and she called in to tell us that when she was in college, she used to experience a lot of that sort of friend gossip. What I've tried to do as I've matured and gotten more experience is to always sit back and think through um, how would I feel if someone said those things about me. Now she's in her 30s. She relies on a different system for venting about friends when she needs to, because sometimes you just need to. Right. And here's what she had to say. One thing that's helped me is to find um, someone in my life that I can talk to about those things when I need to vent who doesn't know the person in question. So for me, that's my mom or my husband. I know that they will keep everything I say in confidence, and it lets me let off that steam without damaging my relationships. So I I really try not to talk about my friends with my other friends. Thank you, Allison. And I love that little tip of finding a a vent buddy or someone that you you know you can really trust and and that they'll treat what you tell them in, in confidence. I love the the fact that she thinks about what it would be like if someone was saying that about her. And I do a similar thing, but I think about what if that person overheard me? What if you were caught in that awful moment where, like, your phone accidentally dialed them as you're venting about them or something like that? Like, imagine what it would feel like to hear these words. It's so responsible because you're both taking care with your relationship externally, but you're also taking care of that relationship internally. And it's so important to monitor that inner voice as well. We also got... 
an email from Cody on this topic. Okay. And that one turned out actually to be a bit of an etiquette salute. Uh, and Cody says, a few years ago, I spent summer working at a camp where I inadvertently inserted myself into an old group of friends that has a complicated history of romantic attachments. I met my dear friend and my current boyfriend there. I also met my boyfriend's ex, who is a longtime close friend of my good friend, but with whom I developed a complicated relationship. Over the past two years, my good friend has been unerringly loyal to both of these friendships, despite her knowledge of our complicated relationship and perhaps feeling like an intermediate. It cannot be easy having two friends who do not get along or worse yet might even speak negatively of one another. The grace with which she manages her time, dedication and sympathies is nothing short of honorable. I don't know how she manages our friendship so well, but if anyone could do it, it would be her. And I'm so grateful for it. Love it. I love it. Love it. Recognizing that maybe you're the one who's a little difficult and there's someone who's managing that really well. I I love that perspective. I love it, too, because I think anytime I've had a friend like like that in that type of position, it's also made me more aware of of not venting to them. Because I just say, you know what, this person likes us both and I'm not trying to win their favor in any way. And I think that's just simply being that stand up. She might even wind up having an effect on the two of them and how much negative things they might say about each other. Yeah, it could rub off. Yeah. Yeah. We also had a recent question about declining multiple invitations to retail parties. Things like Mary Kay, uh, which prompted the following advice from Linda from Olympia, Washington. I'm a teacher and my husband is a pastor and we just don't have a lot of extra money to spend on those things. So as a family, we have agreed to have a no retail parties rule. So when I receive an invitation to a retail party, I respond by graciously thanking the person for thinking of me and I just simply explain that our family does not participate in retail parties and I wish them the best. Usually, I only have to mention this once or twice, and then they get the idea that I'm not interested, and we can remain friends without me feeling the pressure of having to come to a party where there is an expectation of purchasing things. Linda, I love that idea of just having a family rule so you can just flat decline every one of these particular invitations that you get. But I also want to just remind you that definitely it's okay to attend these parties and not buy anything if you do feel like attending just to contribute socially. So our final bit of feedback that we got on the topic of wedding invitations, Jessica from Tacoma, Washington, was shocked at the advice from a few weeks ago uh, that simply receiving a wedding invitation requires a gift in response. So your rules suggest that I could have invited a huge number of people, say, the president of the United States, my third grade teacher who only vaguely remembers me, and all my distant acquaintances to an inconveniently located and scheduled wedding and expect to receive wedding presents from all these people. I maintain that giving a gift requires both parties to agree on the closeness of their relationship. If the guests cannot or choose not to attend, they, not the wedding couple, get to decide whether the relationship is close enough to send a gift anyway. What do you guys think about that? So even though I don't quite agree with with Jessica's idea, I am so thrilled that she brought this up because I think it is confusing for people. And I think especially in an era where weddings have been blown up and blown out of proportion, it's important to ask this question. And I'm really glad that Jessica gave us a platform to talk about it and why it's still important. The reason is because this is a massive, massive milestone in your life that you are inviting them to partake in. And it is worthy of receiving a gift if the person has extended that invite to you. I'm not saying that you should invite strangers to your wedding. That is not the point. We do not think that you should be abusing this rule in the way that that she's suggesting, that you invite people you have no contact with in the past 10 or 15 years. Or you should not invite the President of the United States unless you're close with the President of the United States. But I also want to say that just because you get that invitation doesn't mean you have to send them the Breville espresso maker. You can send them a very small, we call it a token gift. It is a small gift that just simply acknowledges that you invited them to your wedding, which is probably, aside from if you choose to have children, the biggest day of your life 
We all get jobs or promotions or exciting honors in our lives, but they aren't always lifetime commitments that often involve, you know, signing legal documents for the course of our lives. It's a big deal. And I really would love for our culture that has a little bit gone wedding crazy to remember what a wedding is really about and the importance of that wedding. And that, in turn, would mean not overextending your guest list. And it would also mean recognizing, even when you you receive a wedding invitation that seems like a bit of a stretch, that you can acknowledge it with a small, simple, congratulatory gift. Dan, what do you think? Lucy Post, I think you've pretty much covered <laughs> that particular point of etiquette. And I and I know it jumped around a bit, but, but you said a lot of the things that I really want to hear you say oh, in okay. response to this question that you talk about how important a wedding is, what a special thing it is to be invited and to be having one. And that really that's the heart of the etiquette here is is what a special thing a wedding is. And that when you get invited to a wedding, the thought that you're meant to be having is what an honor. It's so remarkable that I've been invited to this special occasion, this special event. And keeping that good feeling happening is where you have all of these careful considerations. Like you can reply with a small gift if it's someone you didn't know as well. If it's a wedding that you're not even going to go to or you can't get to for some reason. And that you want to be careful about how you build your wedding guest list because there is an expectation of a gift. You don't want to just be inviting willy-nilly and you don't want to be inviting for the purpose of receiving a present. But it's still – we still maintain – that you don't look at bad etiquette, which is where someone might have invited a lot of people for a grab of gifts. You don't look at a moment like that as a way to then let go of your own social obligations or your own social customs or your your own sense of etiquette. Someone took the time to invite you to a wedding, even if that is a thousand person wedding, which some weddings are legitimately that large. Believe it or not, some cultures experience weddings that large. So you might be like, wow, I did business with that person once. Why am I being invited to his son's wedding? But to him, you were a person who should be invited to that wedding. And you don't judge someone else on that. Instead, you either decline because you can't go or you don't want to go or you're really unsure why you were invited, but you send the small gift. And these are etiquettes. These are social expectations. This isn't a legal contract. The wedding invitation isn't going to hold up in a court of law. No, no one can shake you down. No one can force you to send that gift. This is a it's an opportunity, not an obligation. And the etiquette is that you reply to the honor of being invited to a wedding invitation with an RSVP as soon as you can. And that usually almost always includes a gift. Thank you to everyone for your feedback. We so love to hear what you think and get to expand on it and talk about it with you. And it's probably our favorite part of this show. So thank you. It's time for our Postscript segment where Lizzie and I focus on a particular piece of etiquette. Okay, so this question I thought could lend itself really nicely to some good tips about how to manage disagreeing publicly, which is not something we have talked about on the podcast yet. So I really love this question. And it's something we try to do with each other. And it's not always easy being. Yes, yes. You and I have this problem. Staying agreeable is a real. um, If we ever move to a live show, it's going to get really interesting. (laughs) The question was short and sweet. And it said, should a couple disagree in front of someone? that you might hire to do work around the house. Example, she wants that, but I don't. I never sign. Whether it's someone that you hire or it's a friend over for dinner or it's your kids, it's really important to recognize that disagreeing and having an argument with a a third or or other party present is very uncomfortable and it's not a place that you want to put that other person in. I really think that the way to head this off at the pass is to cover as much ground together privately first. So let's just use the example of you're going to do a renovation on your house. I learned this having done a renovation on my house this year. There are so many questions, concerns, thoughts, opinions that come up that you didn't even think of. Even just when I was having contractors come over and I was talking with them about what might be possible, might not be possible. I was surprised at how different my conversation with each contractor was because of the way they were looking at the project and the possibilities or the hangups that might come. So I can understand really not completely being able to anticipate every 
thought opinion that is going to come up, but talk about the big ones first. As much as you can, identify these potential trouble zones and try to reach a chord beforehand. Exactly. When you're when you're talking with your spouse, you ahead of time, you really do want to try to think through what are your goals, what are your hopes and dreams for whatever it is that this project is or the circumstances are, even if it's just a, a party or something like that. But the situation we were given was hiring someone to do work around the house. It's important to go in as a couple and as the people together who are hiring If something does come up in the moment that rubs you the wrong way or that you didn't realize you two disconnected on, you need to first remember your surroundings and you need to think about and be aware of that third party present. And it is always going to be appropriate to say, you know. Dan, I'm going to need some time to absorb that or think about that before we move forward on it. This reminds me of a piece of advice from our business etiquette training. When you're at a meeting, we say keep your game face on. Yes. That you don't disagree with a colleague in front of a potential client or (laughs) that you present a unified front, that you present as a team, that it can feel awkward for someone you're working with to be contradicted or called out in front of other people. And you want to be aware of doing that to somebody. And this is a a professional situation. here. It is. Yeah. You're hiring someone. I love the fact that you're taking something from our business etiquette seminars and applying it to a home situation, because in the home, sometimes you are in a business situation with someone. That's brilliant. That's the second time I've used that today. I know, keep calling me brilliant. Yeah, I like I w- that. I will. I will. <laughs> what I want to give you to walk away with is something to use in that moment, and that's called a positive non-committal response. There are things where you say, "I agree. It's interesting, but I want to take some time to think about it." You praise it, or you praise the fact that someone can. Oh, I hadn't thought about that before. Could you give me some time to absorb that? It buys you the time that you need to figure out where you do stand on something or to have the disagreement privately. That's interesting. I'll take it into consideration and we'll get back to you. These are all perfectly polite, perfectly appropriate phrases to go to in that moment. I like it. In this particular example, the script is she wants that, but I don't. I never signed on for that. And there might have been more that was said here. Mm-hmm. But this is a situation where this couple's disagreement, it's now up to the person who's going to be hired, whether or not they listen to one person or the other. Yeah. And you can acknowledge disagreement without making it someone else's problem. You know, my wife and I see this one differently. We've decided we're going to do it her way for now. You can acknowledge the disagreement mm-hmm. <laughs> without saying we see this differently. Eh. Yeah. Now it's your problem. You have to pick a side. What if, though, I'm just going to try to flip this one on its head a little bit. What if the the person that you're hiring, the professional that you're looking to, might be able to have a third or fourth solution that you haven't thought of because you're not a contractor or you're not a nanny or you're not a house cleaner or something like that? You can invite them to bring up other options and just say, this is something we're not ready to decide on. But if you have a third option that could help, that would be awesome. And if not... Just know that we have to take some time to figure out which way we're going to go with it. Hans, we just gave you two different things. What do you think? Well, you know what I find is really interesting about this question is my darling wife and I, we're looking at buying a house right now, which is super exciting and really fun. But there's all sorts of decisions. It's this sort of world that we live in of all these like decisions you have to make while you're walking through a house. And do you like this? And do you like this? And do you like this? Do you like this? So the other night we were sitting on the couch and we were watching House Hunters, which Mm -hmm. is this show. It's a reality TV show where they find three houses for people who want some sort of weird situation, international Mm -hmm. or tiny house or whatever. They've got a couple different shows. And And what I noticed was that because it's a reality TV show, they need conflict. And so they highlight all of the moments where, like, they walk into a space and the husband will say, like, oh, man, I'm really excited about the composting toilet. And the wife will, like, raise her eyebrows and look disgusted and be like, I can't believe you would say that. Because the entire nature of television is about disagreeing in public. And there's so (laughs) much focus on that conflict at the center of these things. So it's interesting and makes sense that somebody would ask about disagreeing with people in in public. In public, because we see it so much in the programming that that we're attached to. Yeah. Yeah. And different people are comfortable with different degrees of disagreement. Right. So Lizzie and I, when we're talking personally in our office, we'll get in really heated discussions about a point of etiquette that we would be a little nervous to maybe take on air to do in front of the entire awesome etiquette audience because it's such a public space. It feels right. so inappropriate. Our to... whole audience now totally wants to hear those moments. 
as as they should, and we're doing our best to figure out how to bring our discussions about etiquette into the public space without being disagreeable while we do it. Uh, so that we can really investigate and parse some of the subtler questions of etiquette. But the, the degree to which you tread into that potentially yeah. uncomfortable space is dangerous and is a is a good point of etiquette to be aware of. Well, and it's also how you tread into it. And I think that that what we try to facilitate is the idea that either for this particular circumstance that you hit the pause button and say, we're not ready to talk about that or we need to take some time to think or where you're able to engage in it in front of someone else in a way that doesn't make them uncomfortable. And I think that's what we were able to outline with the suggestions for this question. Well, LP, I managed to get through most of that segment without calling you out about everything I think you said wrong. (laughs) Thank you so much, dear cousin. I'd love to talk about this with you a little bit later. Maybe we could revisit this in private. Yes, I need some time to think about it, but I like where you're going, so I'll be intrigued to see what comes up. So, Hans, how'd we do? Are you feeling comfortable over there? (laughs) I'm feeling good, and I feel like, for the moment, all of your bickering will stay private in only my ears. (laughs) We appreciate it. We'll keep this just between us. We like to close with a celebration of good behavior. This week, we hear from Lindsay, who has a salute for her husband, Jared. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Thanks for the awesome podcast. My name is Lindsay Davidson, and I live in Edmond, Oklahoma, and I'm a longtime listener of Awesome Etiquette. So my husband, Jared, and I, we volunteer on Wednesday nights at Crossings Community Church in the middle school ministry, and... I lead a small group of girls, it's 8th grade girls, and Jared leads a small group of 8th grade boys. So in Oklahoma, um, we kind of depend on oil and natural gas for revenue in the state, and right now you've seen the prices of oil drop, and the whole state's kind of suffering as a whole, and people are just falling on rough and difficult times right now. Back in January, we started to see the impacts of low oil and natural gas prices. One night after a small group, a young man told Jared that his family was almost 99% sure that they were going to lose their house very soon. I think he just felt a little bit on the outside. You know, came up, said, you know, I, I'm really scared. And I don't know if it was the way that He said it, or, excuse me, uh, it's it's difficult uh, for any number of adults uh, to deal with this type of situation and to know that it's affecting, um, you know, 13- and 14-year-old kids uh, on a day-to-day basis means that it it has far-reaching effects that a lot of times people don't get to see. And Jared just kind of without hesitation, you know, spoke up and told him that, you know, here's my cell phone number, and if there's anything you need from me, please let me know, even if it's just someone to talk to, coming over for dinner, watching Netflix marathon of whatever you want. He was welcome in our home, and that Jared would do anything that that young man needed. Well, you know, I I opened up. We went out to dinner uh, a couple of times just to kind of get away from the distractions, uh, talk about, you know, important things that were going on in his life that he may not have had the opportunity to uh, really express himself otherwise in the home setting at that time. Uh, We've hung out a couple of times since then, just kind of getting his perspective uh, on everything and kind of watching him through this transition and what a solid young man he's becoming through it all as well. I was just so proud of him because he just, without hesitation, jumped to the rescue. He treats everyone kind of like family, and it doesn't matter where they're coming from, how old they are, or what walk of life they're experiencing. He treats them with love and compassion, and that's something that I just admire in him. You know, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where, you know, I'm able to offer, you know, those limited resources that I have, um, but... You know, I, I don't think it came without hesitation. It, it, it really didn't. You know, it's, 
I immediately wanted him and, and for that matter, my wife and everybody else in our group to know that if they ever need anything, that, you know, there's, there's just a conversation away from doing whatever I can. Jared, I just want to say thank you for the way you handled that situation. I know that you are a leader and an example and role model to those young men, and I know that they might not say it directly to you, but you are making a difference in their lives, and you are showing them what it's like to be a kind and compassionate man in today's world and society, which is not always easy to do. I admire you, I respect you, and you're an example for me as well to be a better person and to always remember to handle situations with grace and kindness like you did in that situation. That, I'm just so impressed and happy that, A, this is what this couple experiences and this is how they're able to see each other as giving generous, kind-hearted people and that they're really fulfilling that and proud of each other for that. But that was a it was a really beautiful story. I, I love the living example of a gentleman. I, the gentleman is a concept that is intriguing to me. And Jared sounds like a true gentleman. And thank you, Lindsay, for sharing him with all of us. And I do want to follow up and let everybody know that when I talk to Jared and I talk to Lindsay, the young man that Jared had been yeah. mentoring was still in his house. Good. Uh, at least for the time being. Good. That's wonderful. So wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Thank you for listening. That's our show for today. Thanks to everyone who sent us something. You can send your questions, your comments, your salutes, or any follow-up you might have to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Or you can leave us a message at 802-866-0860. Help us out, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app, and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the incredible Hans Buto. Hans Buto.